0: It is just past 18 hours, 30 minutes and 54 seconds East African time. Time for John Sibi Okumu on Wednesday. This being Wednesday, the 30th of November, 2022. Hamjambo na Karibuni. Hello and welcome. Now, The predictable association of ideas with climate change, scourge of our times, is with extreme changes in weather patterns leading to floods, drought and the catastrophic like. But would you make a direct link between climate change and health? Did you know, for example, that every day here in Kenya there are about 10,000 new cases of malaria, and that about 30 people of die of malaria in Kenya every day. And all these linkages have everything to do with climate change, as will doubtless be elaborated in our conversation with Daktari X, our mystery guest in this edition. But first of all, let her hear what some people have said in response to the question, does climate change have anything to do with your general health?
1: The heat waves, when they increase, they can cause um, dangerous diseases to us, like getting flus. I also... Think like things like flooding can cause um, waterborne diseases to us human beings. Most of the times I get dehydrated and that means I have to increase the intake of water that I'm taking. I've had flu for two weeks and uh, so I've not been leaving the house and I feel like my mental health is kind of being affected. There is increased levels of uh, climate issues uh, surrounding us and they're impacting us directly. Whether it be our food, our health, our diseases—all of these are really much impacted by our behavior uh, as human beings.
0: Well, Dr. Tari, I don't know. It seems to me, uh, it seems to me that maybe uh, our respondents were sort of coached into their answers because they've taken away half my show. But uh, would you have anything to add to what they've just said?
1: Um, of course. I have uh, something to add on to it, and I think um, from their responses, it's clear that um, people know that there's, there's there's climate change, and they're beginning to associate some of the things they are seeing about their health to these changes in um, what's happening with our climate. And so in addition to what they've already said, so... Um, I had somebody say that they, they get very dehydrated because of the rising temperatures and they're forced to take more and more water. You know that dehydration in itself poses a health risk to an individual's health, not just because you will need more water, but also because a lot of, um, you know, like the human body is 70 percent water. And so the more you get dehydrated, the more um, water you keep losing and that starts affecting your health system. Um, I had somebody mention about you know, like the heat, um, heat waves causing an increase in respiratory illnesses. Uh, that's very true, because we know that with climate change comes uh, air pollution. And air pollution, of course, will affect your respiratory sy- uh, system. And we have been seeing an increase case, uh, increasing cases of pneumonia resulting from the uh, pollution in the atmosphere. We know that with climate change, the, the 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 rays of the sun hit directly on the earth. The ozone layer, you know that layer that protects um, the earth from the direct uh, rays of the sun, they are now hitting directly and you know affecting our skins and causing some cancers. And we are seeing an increase in the number of skin cancers as a result of the direct um, uh, sun's rays hitting our skins. And uh, um, somebody one of the one of them also st- t- talked about uh, waterborne diseases. You know when we have flooding, um, we see that uh, the bacteria, um, the, the, the temperatures rise, there's a lot of water that just provides a very good environment for some of the bacterias and viruses to to thrive. And then these eventually end up affecting the human beings who live, uh, who live in that area where uh, there are floods. And so um, we've seen in places like uh, West Pokot when they had a lot of flooding, we had a huge outbreak of cholera, which is a waterborne disease. We had a huge out, outbreak of typhoid fever as a result of that flooding. So you see how um, climate change actually affects and impacts human health. Somebody talked about mental health. Uh, that is very true. You you realize that with climate change, there's a lot of migration. People migrate from areas where they are having droughts. They migrate from areas where they are having um, floods, seeking you know places where uh, there's less of these impacts. But there's also a lot a lot of losses. There's loss of human life, loss of property, a lot of losses that are very traumatic. And you can directly link the trauma to you know cases of depression increased cases of depression as a result of this trauma so this is these are some of the ways that climate change directly impacts our health um, when you talk about vector borne diseases as you mentioned uh, at the opening of the show we're seeing a lot of cases of malaria And it's not just in areas where we were used to seeing malaria, like in the coastal regions and in places like, you know, Kisumu. Now we are seeing increased cases of malaria, even in highland areas where the the, the climate or the weather never used to be favorable um, for the mosquitoes to thrive. But now we are seeing as the temperatures are rising and we are getting, you know, unpredictable rainfall. Uh, providing very, very, very good environments for some of them, like for the mosquitoes to breed, to spread. And so we get increased cases of malaria. We are seeing more people dying because malaria also has to do, like um, uh, your recovery from malaria also has to do with your immunity. So uh, people who grew up in areas where they used to get malaria have more immunity towards the disease. Unlike people who live in highland cold places previously, they, they have a low immunity and so they are not able to fight off malaria. And so we see an increasing number of deaths from malaria as a result of the changing weather patterns, what we call climate change.
0: Doctor, I'd like to come back to you. I think I think we can <laughs> blaming climate change for the state of the world now. Is it a bit extreme explain to me the layperson we're told that there's an increase of something like 1.5 percent in the heat 1.5 percent of a hundred and we're told as a result of these conferences that I had of which more later that even if we brought it down by 0.2 percent things would be fine but To bring it down is just to bring it back to the way things were. I will put it to you that there are people who've thrived in the desert, in the Sahara. We hear about them in their dark outfits going about from day to day. They've never explained heat as as the reason for their troubles. We live in places where there have been floods. Why this sudden preoccupation with climate change and climate change persuade me that this is worse than it's ever been before?
1: Okay, um, that's quite interesting, but I'm going to try to explain why it's very important for us to understand uh, climate change as an actual uh, public health crisis. So I just want us to think about um, when you fall ill, the human body, and then you go to hospital, what is usually the first thing that is checked?
0: your temperature your I tem- exactly your blood your t- pressure
1: you but mostly it's your like your temperature is usually one of the vital signs that are checked and even a slight increase of your temperature so just let's say 1 degree increase of your normal body temperature is an indication is a clear indication that you're not well that your body is not functioning well it means that you're sick It means that things are not working right in your body. It means that you need an intervention, you need to be treated so that your body can go back to working right and then continue sustaining you. So let's talk about our earth and why those temperature increases are very important for us. We have regions of the earth where the low temperatures actually sustain life forms in those areas. Those temperatures, as low as they are, actually, you know, prevent flooding from taking place. And then we have areas, what you refer as in the desert, where, you know, people have lived with these high temperatures. People have done all this. But let's give it that global, the planet perspective. This is our earth. This is our home. This is like your body that carries you. Every part of the body has to be functioning right for you to be considered healthy. So, an increase in the temperature of the earth, even just by one degree, means that your body is getting hot, the planet is getting hot, it is not well. Where uh, it was ice, sorry, it begins sorry, melting. Sorry,
0: sorry doctor, I, 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 like, I like the explanation, it's a wonderful explanation. I'd like you to go back just before we take a break as to know what, how, why has it taken us this long to, to become aware of it? Who's responsible? I mean, as a doctor, you have a foundation in scientific training, and you're saying we've sat by for the last 100 years, and oh my goodness, three years ago, the temperature has gone up by 1%. Who's to blame?
1: I mean... Um...
0: And I, I hear that the industrial revolution, the coal mines, but we knew this was about to happen.
1: I, I, I'm going to talk about who we are as human beings, our culture of com- consumerism, what drives us, our greed to amass wealth, our greed to have it all, yeah. not considering, you know, um, not being considerate of, the, of, the, of what holds us together, not being considerate of the ecosystem, our selfishness, not thinking as a whole, yeah not considering that what affects me here will affect you tomorrow. And, and, and to me, I actually want to call out, especially the rich nations, especially countries that industrialized earlier than our poor countries in Africa. They recently congregated in Egypt, COP27, but we call them a conference of polluters. They are the reason why we are where we are today that while driving their need to industrialize, while driving their re- need to get rich and have everything, they forgot, or rather chose to forgo- forget intentionally how this was impacting the, um, impacting our climate and impacting our livelihoods. We consider ourselves to be in the downstream of this entire crisis. When you look at our carbon, our carbon print within this continent, within this, this country, and we compare with these rich countries, we have contributed very little towards this. And this can begin to explain to you why we never thought it as an issue. Because we, weren't, we were not messing up. We were not releasing emissions into the air. We were not engaging in practices that were actually messing up the environment and causing temperatures to increase. This was happening Upstream but we are bearing the brunt of it. And so we must talk about it and we must get on board in addressing this problem.
0: Dr. I'm going to come back to you on that. Um, but we'll take a break first of all.
1: The mix of music Capital
0: them. Daktari, I'd like to go back to your assertion about a conference of polluters and to say that surely there's a point at one in one's progression where one takes responsibility for one's condition. So here we are, we are Kenyans, and we see the pollution that is exacted on our own roads people belching out smoke i'm coming to the point where we are responsible for as much pollution as we are on our own turf as anybody anywhere else we are polluting lake victoria we are throwing plastic into the indian ocean it's got nothing to do with the great powers and also we have a great desire to industrialize every the 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 the, the great the manifesto of each and every political party was that Kenya was going to become an industrial nation. So let's give it a bit of a Kenyan focus, and I'm going to suggest to you that we're just waiting to play copycat.
1: Exactly. We, I mean, what you say is true. We have contributed to this problem. What I said earlier is, you know, like the silence that has been around climate change and why it. Suddenly became an emergency, but when we come back to a country, we see a lot of um, discussions around uh, industrialization. They need to have improve local manufacturing. They need to have uh, you know like buy Kenya, build Kenya, become uh, a middle income country. By these, like we have our targets. And uh, what's been missing a lot in this conversation has been how do we do that and still maintain the ecosystem or even make it better. What's missing in the conversations is how we do this in a clean way that will ensure that the environment in which we are doing all these
0: remains sorry, clean sorry, and su- sorry, su- sustainable sorry, so- for us. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, mm. there is no legislation towards that end. You gave the example. There has to be legislation towards that end. And, and, and mm-hmm. I, I do excuse me. I, maybe we should go back to the notion of climate change and health, our topic. Mm-hmm. But I will stay with this a bit longer. Uh, isn't there a call for legislation to ask people not to do certain things?
1: Exactly, that pollute the atmosphere. Mm
0: -hmm. Just stop doing this, that, and the other.
1: So I know that in the country we have governments, and even previous governments, have identified climate change, the need for mitigating, the need for adapting to climate change, as a priority. Has identified health as a priority area in terms of climate change mitigation and climate change adaptation. But it stops there. Identifying, listing it as a priority. But there's actually no health national adaptation plans around, you know, climate change issues. We do not have legislation that directly addresses the impacts of climate change towards our health, and even the contributors towards, you know, these negative health impacts, that is lacking in our policies, that is lacking in our legislation. And I agree with you that there's need for us to have legislation around these issues.
0: And we took a delegation to COP27. So I'm asking you, uh, as somebody who knows more about this than I do, were, were there any great um, declarations made making the linkage between climate health change and health? Were there?
1: Yes, there were declarations. We need to like realize, let's talk about COP26, COP25. There have been declarations, and that's why we call these, these are just mere conferences of polluters. They're just looking at ways of, you know, keep talking about this issue. There were declarations. Actually, WHO released for the first time, I think, an actual information site where you can get information that links climate change to the negative health impacts. We saw countries committing, as they did in COP26, as they did in COP22, committing to addressing climate change issues. And still listing health as a priority. But there was nothing direct, including the government of Kenya, towards this matter. And I can confidently say that globally we have maybe two or three countries like Argentina and I think Malaysia recently that developed health national adaptation plans. That, you know, centers health in this climate change, you know, plans of mitigating and adapting to it. But Kenya is yet to get there. This country is yet to develop that. Right. And so we are still far behind, despite, you know, being one of those countries that is directly suffering the negative impacts of climate change on our health.
0: Well, Dr. Tari, again, the, the, the aim of our little discussions every week is this idea of civic education is to draw in the Mwana Inchi into the discussion. And maybe to think about a topic that they hadn't seen in quite the same light, so you're telling me you have told me that changes in climate have a direct implication on my health, so why is it important to make me aware of that and why, why 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 is it important for health officials like you to talk about climate change now
1: okay, so um I'll, I'll broadly and then probably just narrow down. You know that um, we need for this a country to develop, for us to meet our targets, objectives as a country, as a people, even as an individual, you need to be healthy. So a healthy nation is a wealthy nation. So that's very important. But also when you are aware... As an individual, especially at Kama Wewe Binafsi, you are aware that um, what I'm experiencing right now is because of the increasing uh, climate, uh, increasing temperatures or probably because of the climate change. There are specific actions that you can take. There are specific actions, there are specific things that you can do that in their own small way can begin addressing, you know, a reduction in, these, uh, in, in some of these things that make uh, no, climate like, Terry, change a very bad
0: thing. We might, we might get ahead of ourselves because we've got a long time to talk. <laughs> if you start saying, if you sleep at six <laughs> o'clock in the evening, you'll live forever, then... No. No, I, I, I want you to go back and, and, and tell people, go case by case. You mentioned some okay. diseases. I will. Yeah. So, uh, and tell us, you know, what's happening so that people can become aware. Yeah. Shall I tell you something as I sit across you at the, on this microphone? Please do. I, I, I myself am not keenly aware that climate change is affecting my health. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I think mm. I'm just fine.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, let me, let me, let me. Just. Sorry, sorry.
0: Maybe, maybe <laughs> I should start to worry. Maybe I should sort of walk around with yes. a machine measuring you, my.
1: No, you really. Um, I think everyone needs to really get worried about. Give their us health. some
0: examples of what's happening.
1: People really need to get worried about their health. Right, and uh, especially how climate change is impacting their health directly, and probably I'll talk about it a little bit how it's, it might impact their health negatively. Um, I talked about. Um, the increasing temperatures. You know, when you expose yourself to very high temperatures, then you begin getting dehydrated.
0: 70% no, of I, I, your Daktari, body... I, I heard you the first time. Exactly. I heard you the first time. My my, my more direct question...
1: Is on the specific diseases. Yeah, yeah, and, so I, let's... And,
0: and I would say this, Daktari. Mm-hmm. Here am I living in the big city, capital of Nairobi, uh, the green city in the sun, or so it was some years ago. Um <laughs> And, and then we go back to the village. You know, I, I always draw this image of uh, traveling up country where the air is fresh. We've got away from the hustle and the bustle. Everybody's going to be heading home squared, shags for Christmas. And you're trying to tell me, oh, my goodness, don't head for shags just this Christmas because of this horrible thing called climate change. I don't believe you.
1: Okay. Um, probably I'll tell you why you need to be careful Um heading to shags Mm. and thinking that, you know, the air is fresh, everything is clean, everything is taken care of, and so I'm not going to be exposed to certain things which I'm exposed to in the cities, okay? So let's look at our rural setting and how it's set up and how people go about doing their things. And I'll just talk about waste disposal and how we handle our waste from the human body
0: Well, uh, Um, we've got um, three minutes for one example before we take the break. (laughs) Okay, so so yeah, three minutes for one example. People openly, yes, people
1: openly Mm. defecate. Some of the toilets are very shallow, and when it rains, you know, it just gets carried away or washed away. So when we have higher temperatures than normal, when we have rainfall at the same time, these are favorable conditions for some bacteria for some viruses to thrive in. And so when you have all these high temperatures, you get these bacteria surviving, getting washed into our water systems, into the rivers, and then you go take that water and drink it. That's how you expose yourself to diseases like cholera. That's why we've, we've seen a huge increase, outbreak of cholera in more than 27 counties in this country because the temperature is favorable. The, the cholera, the, vibri- the the bacteria can now survive. It can now spread into our water. And then we can drink it. And think about what I talked about dehydration. I know you said this, but it makes you drink a lot of water. But the water that you're drinking, are you sure it's treated? It's that contaminated water you're going to again drink. And so your risk of getting you know cholera also goes up. And that's why we're having more and more diarrheal um, diseases um, and we're having cholera outbreaks, not just where we used to see them in, in, you know, in crowded slums. Now we are even seeing outbreaks of cholera in our rural settings where we thought the environment was clean.
0: Thank you for that example. I'm going to ask for more, but for now, we'll take another break. <laughs> Thank you for your indulgence, Dakhtari. We're going back to these examples of yours, and I would say that um, there have been campaigns. I've been part of them as a moderator, MC, what you will, open defecation and the struggle. There are already campaigns that have gone to eliminate these things, and things have improved. Every family up country is building in stone, Western-style housing. Everything to be imitative of the West is on the rise. So you're saying that maybe the accusation here is that for us here in Kenya, climate change is going to be too expensive to fix because if we're on the level of the pit latrine, I just can't afford to build a proper one. So let me die. Uh, was it our minister the other day who said <laughs> there are very many causes for death? OK, GMO foods, add climate change to the mix. Let's die of climate change. Mm-hmm. Too pessimistic? Too exp- No. Is it too expensive to fix this problem for uh, emerging, emerging, emergent countries, not third world or second world or first? People like us.
1: I, from where I sit, I feel like it's not too expensive to fix climate change. And uh, it's not too expensive uh, from, from, from my perspective in this manner. So, as, an indi- as individuals, there are things we can do. But even as government, there are still things the government can do within its budget to begin addressing some of these, you know, issues that uh, uh, drive climate change in the country. Um, for example, you know, just um, what you said about uh, building pit latrines, to ensure that um, we, we, are, we are managing our waste properly and keeping it clean. Um, issues about, you know, just hygiene, uh, washing your hands with, with burning water and soap. I mean, these are not costly interventions. These are not interventions that require huge capital investments. And uh, when we talk about a pit latrine, well built and done, it just doesn't serve a family, you know. It serves a community. Strategically positioned, and we we, we begin to look at comparing the cost of managing diseases that we get as a result of climate change vis-a-vis what it costs us to build those pit latrines, what it costs us to have clean running water what it costs us to put in place you know like drain stagnant water these are simple interventions that are now very costly but when you start thinking about treating the diseases that you now start getting from uh, as a result of climate change you realize the cost is so huge when you look at our budget uh, that goes into healthcare. A lot of it is dedicated to treatment rather than then, prevention. Right. See? So we're,
0: we're into the whole region of, 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 of public health.
1: Exactly. So when I give it that lens, then I'll say it's not expensive to address climate change.
0: Okay. Uh, just okay. Uh, uh, that answer I'll accept because we've got others to cover. One of them is, this, okay, now I'm going to go back. A point of clarification, my dear friends, the animals, uh, I think you mentioned them in passing uh, and said, you know, we want we've had people here talking about wildlife conservation and the importance of animals in our lives. You're trying to suggest that animals are now becoming the culprit because they're What are they doing to us? Animals, animals, the A things. Yeah,
1: so I talked about waterborne diseases. I'll talk about zoonotic diseases. Uh, Like uh. diseases that actually live in animals and find their way
0: to us as human beings. So why are they finding themselves more now when, again... We are told that in the early 60s, or whatever it is, there were the the elephant population was a hundred times what it is now. Everybody was encountering a buffalo on the way to work. Daktari, um, you're urging yes, me yes, to yes. be more and more cynical as we go along. Yes,
1: I mean I do. know you do,
0: yeah. <laughs> what have the animals done now that they're part of this okay, so health scare?
1: Exactly. So um, you do realize that uh, these animals that we considered wild animals right. actually had have or had their natural habitat, which were the forests. And they could exist within that with very, very minimal interaction with human beings and as and also minimal interaction with animals that we domesticate as human beings. But look at the forest cover in the country. Look at what we have been doing to this country, even to our parks. We keep cutting down the trees. We keep clearing this forest. Uh, yeah, we f- cut them forest. down,
0: and then we also declare that we're going to get some new ones from, <laughs> you know, the Philippines or something, already grown. And, so,
1: exactly. yeah, we, but, but we read we are the opening, yes, yes, but uh, we are opening then up the yes. interface hmm. between human beings and these animals. It's right. getting smaller. But these animals are hosts to some viruses and some bacteria right, as that we, do as,
0: not affect them. As we remember, with the outbreak of HIV/AIDS, yes. wasn't that the whole thing? And Africa was the great culprit because it's Ex- horrendous.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. And you look at COVID. Mm-hmm. So we are we are reducing that interface between ourselves, human beings, and the animals. But these animals, as they are in their natural habitat, have developed within themselves systems that but make immu-
0: them immune to yeah to yeah, those those nasty bad things viruses
1: those bad bacteria right. but we are not immune to that
0: right but we so are getting closer the solution is um build grow more forests and let the elephants be and don't take big trucks to go and see them in the mara
1: and also don't eat the meat or because it's not meat. it's not been inspected it's right. not been declared fit for your consumption right but that's what we are doing consistently right and so uh, daktari I, one
0: thing that i give my uh, our listeners credit for is that I, we're talking to a highly intelligent um, listenership and i'm sure they can take away their own messages so let's let's park that for the moment and see whether they either share my cynicism or have taken into explanation what i'd like to get into now is that you mentioned uh, covid covid i think covid covid uh, 19 mm-hmm. and we've just been through a major pandemic so the trick question to ask is uh, is there fear of more to come but before we go for, the, for that, again, as a Mwana Inchi, to look up, whatever the Kiswahili was for mask, then there was a declaration uh, that it's all over, it's finished. And now here we are allowed to zoom around without our masks on, and yet people are still catching COVID and still dying of COVID. So, You know, you can guess the question that I'm going to ask you now. How can something that is so bad just suddenly disappear? And in its place, you're trying to imagine something else that's going to take over.
1: Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. And I think it is my responsibility as a health professional to, first of all, just make it very clear that COVID did not disappear. COVID haiku potea. Iko COVID bado iko na sisi mm-hmm. the way that COVID spreads it still spreads the same way.
0: Exactly. But
1: kwa nini tuliambiwa tutowe mask ni kwa sababu um, sahizi COVID, what we call community transmission imeingia unaweza spread. it had spread to the community, Ikuati mtu mtummo akiwa nayo tunaweza tukavaa mask sisi wote na tukazuiliwa kupata. Ilikuwa imeshaingia kwa community, Nasasa kila mtu amekuwa exposed kwa hiyo um, COVID. Kwa hivyo njia ambayo imebakia sisi kujizuilia uh, around this COVID is to get vaccinated. So we are where it is slowly becoming stable. Like kama vile ambavyo tulikubali HIV iko. Kama vile ambavyo tulikubali malaria iko. Because at some point malaria was a pandemic. Kama vile ambavyo... Tuli, tumekubali magonjwa mengi, measles, polio, hizi zote. Kuna wakati zilikuwa pandemics. But tukakubali kwamba zikonasi, tutaishi nayo, na tutafuta tuta, njia ambayo, tutazuia makali yake. Kwa hivyo okay. COVID imefika, tunailekea hapo mali ambapo. Tunakubali, COVID is with us. Okay. And so we just need to look at strategies. And the strategy is vaccination that will make me And as much as I'm exposed to it and I get infected with it, it doesn't kill me.
0: So in in our conversation, I don't know, was COVID also part of the climate change agenda?
1: Yes, yes, yes. And there have been so many studies that are actually clearly indicating that climate change has been a driver uh, for the emergence and thriving of coronaviruses, COVID-19 being one of them. Um, you see covid-19 ama kor- ko- corona is spread by droplets um, it's a droplet infection kwa hivyo nikikohoa whatever it is nina kohoa, iki ikienda kwa surface inaiza inuliwa na upepo ama mm. mtu akiguuza alafu akijiguza maybe kwa uso kwa macho kwa nini no, yeah. anapata covid yeah. so when we look at that it's coronaviruses are just one of those viruses when the temperatures were low Their spread was very minimal. That is one. But also, there are viruses that live with bats in the forests. They never got their way to human beings until we reduced that interface and started to have more interaction with them. So scientists have looked and researchers have looked at pandemics in the last 400 years that human beings have been around. And 400 years ago, you could live up to 100 years and never experience a pandemic. But right now, it is predicted that as you live, you have a 38% chance of experiencing more than two pandemics in your lifetime. And it's going to get worse if we do not address these climate change issues. And why is it going to get worse? Because there there are certain viruses and bacteria that have been frozen in the in the in the poles kuna mm-hmm. ice mm-hmm. hiyo ice ime freeze bacteria right. and may freeze viruses ambazo ziki ziki binadamu zinaweza kutuua and so for hundreds of years the bacteria and viruses have remained frozen but now as the earth is getting warmer and warmer and warmer the ice is melting and as it's melting uh, it's releasing more of these viruses and
0: bacteria i hear you but i, I must go and back so I, I, and i hear you but i must go back to the the local perspective where we hear i know that you're a pharmacist that's something that can be real, revealed about you we know that big pharma are out there, you're going to become a multi-millionaire from my illnesses, just curing me on a daily basis with all these drugs. And also the thing that we, we have a sort of conspiracy theory that we can go and eliminate all those Africans and take over their forests and their cobalt and uranium because we'll eliminate them through these diseases. So as as an African thinker, do you dismiss those particular... There's some there's some theories that seem to appeal to you a great deal but some that you're sort of laughing over and tossing out the window out of hand.
1: Exactly, the one that you've mentioned about eliminating the Africans and all that. I just want to bring us back to our context and look at some of the diseases that we are even scared about becoming, you know, pandemics. Look at Ebola. Has been in West Africa a lot, has moved into Uganda. It is getting closer home. It's a very dangerous illness. It's more dangerous than COVID-19. It's fatal. Yani, ikiye kuaffect wewe kukufa, utakufa raka. Oh dear. Kuliko vile ambavyo ungekufa kama una, (coughs) kama una, (coughs) ukona COVID. But let's look at other diseases like dengue fever. Wakati ukienda kule Mombasa, utapata saizi watu wengi wanapata dengue fever. Ambayo kitambo haiku kuwa hivyo sana. Hmm. Symptoms za dengue fever ni kama za malaria. Lakini unapoenda hospitalini wakifanya test, unapata ni tofauti. Dengue fever haija kua na numbers nyingi sana. The cases have not been a lot countrywide. But now we are seeing more and more cases of dengue fever in the coastal region. If this disease keeps spreading and getting closer and closer into the rest of the country, then we are looking at a an outbreak an actual outbreak of dengue fever you talk about rift valley fever you talk about chikungunya virus hizi zote ni ziko africa na vile temperatures ina increase ndio vile hizi magonjwa pia zinazidi kuingia na kutupata zaidi kwa hivyo si about kutaka kumaliza wa africa
0: okay i'm i'm glad that i'm safe and with that promising note we'll take our last break dr Ari. thank you Terry, so much to talk about, too little time. I am going to go back to this idea. You mentioned the word Ebola. Uh, we are neighbors, a community. Now, as we speak, we're hearing about an outbreak of Ebola in Uganda, a neighboring country. Now, the world is going to become a big health. I'm talking about global health versus national health. Health, rather, mm. Should we Kenyans sit back and say, oh, my goodness, it's all happening across the border. It doesn't concern us. And the question that's going to follow, what can we do to mit- mitigate these threats as a world community?
1: Yeah, I, I like that you talked about national health mm. and global health because I am health justice advocate and uh, issues health should not be nationalized. We saw how that was very dangerous when we were facing the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. And the rich countries chose to, you know, keep all the vaccines to themselves and only release a little to the poor countries. But yet the COVID situation is still present both in the rich and and, and poor countries. So they did not solve anything. So anyway, I, I mean, Ebola in Uganda is Ebola in Kenya the world has become a global village. We have people moving in between these two countries on a daily basis. We have, you know, even products, not just people, products are moving, you know, between these two countries every single day, every single hour, every single minute. And it's a concern to us because our borders are very porous. And I'll remind you the scare that we had recently in, in in. uh, in Mumias which is very close to Malaba border that there was somebody who actually traveled all the way from Uganda crossed the border got into Kenya traveled all the way to Mumias slept the night interacted with people in the village and the following day went to the hospital and none of the hospital staff knew that this person had got you know had come from Uganda only to do, you know, every like test and then um, well, during the, the history taking part. That's when they're like, oh, you traveled recently to Uganda. No, I came, b- I, I came from there yesterday. Is it the same town where there's Ebola? Yes, that's where there's Ebola. And there was a scare. We were all told that there's a somebody who suspected of, of having Ebola in Mumias already in Kenya. But this person crossed our borders. I understand exactly, got in and interacted with healthcare workers who had not no knowledge about you know at what point do we screen off and so, as a country, there are countries that have experienced Ebola, we need to learn from them, we are beginning to learn from them, but globally, there has to be a concerted effort towards addressing diseases that have been I- identified. As either epidemics or pandemics. Yale uh, magonjo ambayo ya na watu wengi. Ambayo ya kianza ku spread watu wengi wana kufa. Dunyanzima, all countries need to have a concerted effort towards addressing these diseases. We need to have our borders very well, um, just very well equipped to screen, to be able to screen and say this person. So, Her if, I, if, of if this. I were to
0: ask you, do, do you, as a medical practitioner, uh, do we in Kenya have those the kits that we saw in Sierra Leone and Liberia we, that they had? We, we, with do, sort of, we,
1: we do not have them in Kenya so, at all.
0: We don't have any. No. So, if there had been a declaration on, of, of Ebola, we wouldn't have done too well.
1: We would be where we were. Yes. when we had the declaration of COVID-19 as a pandemic. You realize that we did not even have enough testing kits in this country to test every contact, um, whether they had COVID. So that's
0: what the same thing that will
1: happen in this country if we got
0: okay, so Ebola into the country. Fast forward. Well, we don't have that much time. Uh, what? Let me go back to the lessons that we've learned as a global community. We're still on the back of um, COP27, Uh, What have we learned about pandemics and future pandemics? And what is, well, you don't know the answer, but what might we do to be better equipped for the future? And then fast forward, I'll let you speak for a while about what we're doing as a nation. Because otherwise, I'm trying to suggest to you that if you, the practitioners who know what's happening, do not have a a relationship with our leaders, if there isn't that dialogue between you, then we have to fear the worst, surely.
1: I think what you're asserting is true. We have to fear the worst as a people. However, I'll talk about the lessons that we have learned from COVID-19, from COP27. One big lesson that we need to carry with us is solidarity. We need global solidarity. So that there's that exchange of technology, there's the exchange of knowledge, there's the free exchange of, you know, like uh, commodities and products and in even intellectual property in terms of um, addressing. because um, pandemics are global issues. They are can I call them they're the global mm. goods, mm. and they need global action not national action. So from that perspective, the global um, matters of interest, the global interest, so they need global action. So we need a lot of global solidarity, a rethinking of how we approach global health and even how we set the agenda, the global health agenda. That needs rethinking so that we are not just looking at it from a lens of rich and poor countries, but what really is ailing the, uh, the, the, the planet and how can we approach it in solidarity and how can we share and leverage on what has worked elsewhere and, and bring it to where it has worked. and And then when I come back to our country, we need to be honest with each other. We need to begin having... Uh, real conversations and we need our Wanainchi our to be aware that number one we are not prepared as a country despite having faced a pandemic we are not prepared as a country to handle another pandemic as and as at and when it arises because our health systems are not well prepared right now if you go across the counties they closed their isolation centers they closed all the treatment centers that they had set up to treat COVID-19. But what happens if you have an outbreak right now? Are we going to still run around and begin opening them up and addressing all these issues? So we need well, to we get sort serious. Of went, we
0: went there earlier by saying perhaps it's too expensive to fix. We just can't afford it as a country to keep permanent sort of guard over the next pandemic. It's not true, though.
1: That's not true. We are able to send... Our, our police to DR Congo, we're able to send them to Somalia. We're not able to set up treatment centers for our own health. That is not too expensive. I still insist it's too expensive to buy those things we had to buy as a country when we had the pandemic. It's too expensive to avail masks and everything, even to the environment. You realize that even the way we were disposing the masks in itself was an environmental hazard. We don't need to get there. We just need to get it right from prevention all the way to treatment. We just need to dedicate more resources to healthcare and fund our public healthcare systems better. And then we will see a health system that is responsive at all times, irrespective of whether it's a pandemic. We will be ready to address any of these pandemics any of these diseases moving forward. But we also need wanainchi uh, who are informed and who are educated because we all need to be aware all the time. And, and that's why I keep on saying that we are going to face so many pandemics ahead of us. Antibiotics resistance, that's a pandemic that we are going to face very soon when we no longer have any antibiotics that can work for us. But as a people, we need to start talking about these things. We need to be aware. And then we need to begin making certain demands of the leaders that we have uh, elected to prioritize putting, you know, setting up these health systems. But what can we do at our own personal level about some of these issues? During COVID-19, we all were washing our hands. We were all using soap and water to wash our hands at every turn. But immediately, the mitigation measures were lifted. I Covid imeisha. those measures were lifted to allow us to go back to our normal lives and, you know, to live. We forgot about washing our hands with soap and water. We forgot about all these things, but let's go back to them. Let's do it, clean water, handle our food properly, uh, dispose our waste properly, and we'll be fine.
0: This is a good time to ask you, what is your name?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, today you've been speaking to Dr. Masi Nabuire. Right. Dr. Masi Nabuire is the national treasurer of the Kenya Medical Practitioners, Pharmacists and Dentists Union. We usually just call it the
0: doctor's union. Right. I'm going to ask you one one minute question. Uh, We don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough nurses. But you people, you people, you (laughs) keep on going on strike. And you come and talk to us about health. Why do you do what you do if you're that concerned about the well-being of society? We keep
1: on going on strike not because we, we want to bring to the attention of Kenyans the gaps in our health systems. And we want them to see that there's need to address these gaps. I like that you say we don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough nurses. But you forget to say we don't have medicines in our hospitals. We don't have enough equipment in our hospitals. We do not even have enough hospitals in this country. But our health budget is consistently reducing every year. Yes, so that is why we go to the streets. That is why we call on Kenyans to join us. Every time we are in the streets and we are saying haki uh, yetu, ni afya yetu na afya ya kila
0: May the struggle continue is all I can say. It's uh, 19 hours, 28 minutes and 46 seconds. Time to stop there. Do continue to give us feedback, hopefully positive and reassuring, on the Twitter handle at Capital FM Kenya or drop us a text or WhatsApp message on 0701-984-984. I've been talking to Dr. Mercy Navuire, herself a clinical pharmacist and also National Treasurer of the Kenya Medical Practitioners, Pharmacists and Dentists Union. And you've been listening to John Sibio on Wednesday. Thank you so very much for doing that again. And until next time.